your lunch hour, ladies and gentlemen. It's Rob Port on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Natil. Good afternoon, Rob. You know what I was doing as the music started playing there? Um, having a Twitter fight. I know. I'm still trying to write my Sunday column. Oh, well, that's also important. What I've, been so str- long? I've been struggling with it a little bit today. Got some writer's block? Not so much writer's block. It's it's just how I want to how I want to say things, I guess. Um, I'm actually writing about, you know, Governor Bergen was on the program with us yesterday uh, talking about his new higher ed task force. And uh, I'm writing my I'm writing my Sunday column about that because, you know, I, I put up the audio of um, of our interview on the blog. And then the reaction I'm getting from a lot of people is, is yeah, right. This task force isn't going to change anything. Um, and I guess I, you know, I, I understand the cynicism. There's been a lot of efforts to reform higher ed for a long time and it, it it a lot of it hasn't worked and you know i i think you know bergam's not the first person to go down this road and i think there's a lot of people who are thinking it's just going to be more of the same i'm hoping it's not but that's that's sort of what i'm talking anyway people can read it on sunday um and i might i might talk more about that here in a minute uh josh swanson is uh he's an attorney from vogel law firm he's going to come on uh, i don't know how many people have been tracking this there's been a big fight over mineral rights under lake sakakawea um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, it's out of, I guess maybe a very sexy issue, but if you think about it, Lake Sakakawea is a man-made lake. And when they flooded the lake, the federal government bought out the surface rights to the land, but the landowners maintained the mineral rights. And so those mineral rights really weren't worth a lot until recently when things like horizontal drilling and fracking all of a sudden made the mineral rights under the lake valuable because they could actually be, you know, reached and produced. I mean, you could, you know, those, those mineral rights could, could be developed. Well, along comes the state of North Dakota and they said, you know, the, the state owns all of the mineral rights under the Missouri river, right? That's, that's long been established fact. The state of North Dakota owns the mineral rights under the Missouri river. Well, they're trying to say that the entire, the entirety of Lake Sakakawea is 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 the Missouri River, and so all those mineral rights under the lake are the states. I mean, it's a big, big land grab. So there's been families that have been fighting this. The legisl- the legislature stepped in, and they said, you know, no, you know, that that, that sort of claim is not going to stand. Right? They passed legislation earlier this year. Uh, this, the the North Dakota Supreme Court has stepped in and, and told lower courts, you guys have to recognize the legislation that the legislature just passed and, and you know and, and and take that into account but yet the North Dakota Attorney General's office continues to fight this and it's it's really sort of remarkable I, I mean if you think about it this is the state of North Dakota trying to grab people's property so anyway we're going to talk with Josh Swanson he's an attorney with the Vogel law firm he represents uh, a family that that fought this all the way to the North Dakota Supreme Court they're continuing to fight this uh, we'll talk with him and get an update about that. Also, Kaylee McEnany from the uh, Republican National Committee is going to be on uh, about tax reform a little bit later in the program. Plus, your phone call, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, okay, so on the university thing, you know, we had the governor on yesterday. He's got a task force. So the task force is looking at governance, but I, I thought the important thing was I asked the governor about whether or not removing the university's from the Constitution, now we have 11 public institutions in our state in the North Dakota University system. 
I think eight of them, if I'm remembering right, most of them anyway, I think it's eight, are named in the state constitution, like mandated they have to exist in those cities. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know this, I, there's like dozens of, of those sorts of, of state institutions that are mandated in the state constitution. Did you know that? I had no idea, actually. Yeah. We have, I, I think it's I think it's eight of the, the universities, and then you have things like the Veterans Home in Lisbon is mandated by the state constitution, uh, the state hospital in Jamestown, obviously, uh, the Life Skills and Transition Center in Wapaton is mandated by the state constitution. Uh, you know, so, so the constitution says, you know, you have to have this facility for this purpose in this city, like it's mandated. And if you want to, if you want to not operate that facility, you literally have to amend the state constitution. It's, it's really sort of a weird thing. And if you look at it, you wonder, well, why, why did we do that? Why did we mandate all of these institutions in the law mandate their existence? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because obviously the state grows over time. Our needs change. Um, you know, for instance, the Life Skills Center up in Wapaton typically served, you know, severely mentally disabled people. Now, it used to be that we institutionalized those people, right? Like we... You know, and it was was a pretty scary stuff. As a matter of fact, one of the facilities operated under that facility in Grafton. Uh, you've probably seen on some of those ghost hunter stores, it's a store uh, shows. It's the um, the San Haven Sanatorium. You ever seen that, Natiel, on on the ghost hunter shows? I haven't, but I haven't watched a whole lot of like the ghost well, hunter shows. I should though. Should. I think they're hilarious. You're missing out. They're awesome um, for a number of reasons. They are hilarious. Uh, but anyway, like it's the it's I mean, that's what we used to do with the mentally disabled people. Well, obviously, times have changed. Um, we handle those people with a more community based approach. We try to keep them in their communities, close to their friends, close to their families in smaller sort of facilities. We have found that this is the sort of thing that works better. Right. So but our state constitution still mandates the existence of this facility in Grafton. And in the last legislative session, there was an attempt to, to, to initiate even just a study into whether or not we needed to, to keep that thing existing. And the local lawmakers from that part of the state fought it bitterly. Why? Because those institutions bring government jobs and they bring people to those communities that spend money. And the same is true of, of the universities. This has been an obstacle to reform of the university system of higher education in our state for going on decades where people are saying, well, do we really need a university in Mayville? You know, do we really need a university in Botno? You know, do, do we need all of these? Could we consolidate some of them? Could we move some of the missions to a central campus and save some money instead of running redundant programs at redundant campuses? Right? Makes sense. I mean, I we could at least have that debate, but we can't really have that debate because they're mandated in the state constitution. And in the past, efforts to amend the state constitution to take these institutions out has failed, which is why it's a big deal for Governor Burgum to say possibly amending the constitution in that way is in bounds. It's on the table. That will he be successful? I don't know. But I'm hoping that, that maybe Governor Burgum can use some of his his charisma, can, can use some of his popularity in the state to turn some heads on this because there is a sense of parochial politics, of, of sort of locally driven politics that has fought off reform in the universities for a long time and is, has promoted a certain approach to higher education in our state which is not really conducive to serving students. And, and that approach is 
have big, expansive campuses and lots of campuses scattered across the state and pack those campuses full of students, even to the point where, you know, you look at the Dickinson State scandal from several years ago where they were literally giving away phony diplomas to foreign students. What was all that about? That had its roots in the need to find students to pack on campus because these institutions aren't, I don't want to say entirely, but some of them, I think some of the smaller ones aren't really serving an educational purpose in our state. They'll deny it vehemently, but in truth, it's about economic development. It's a sort of jobs program, right? Because you're going to have hundreds of of state employees who are going to live and work in those communities. You're going to bring in, you know, depending on the campus, maybe a thousand, couple thousand students who are going to come. They're going to shop in stores. They're going to eat at restaurants their parents are going to come and visit it drives a lot of commerce it drives a lot of jobs for those communities and i'm not necessarily saying that those are bad things but they're the wrong priorities for a university right we don't operate a university as a jobs program we operate a university or a college or, or an institution of higher education to educate students that's what it's supposed to be about so that's the point of my my sunday column is that and uh, we're going to go. We're going to take a break. Uh, we got Jay Thomas live on location. We'll talk with him in just a moment. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. I wrote a column a while back. I called uh, I called Roy Moore a, a Cretan. I said there shouldn't be a place in the Republican Party for him. And I feel like I've been I, – I mean, I, I think the guy was a Cretan already for his position on, on – I mean, his positions on homosexuals, his positions on religious freedom. I, I mean, the guy is – He's not a good person. No, I don't this, think there's this was the tent no tent big enough guy. Right. There should there should not be a tent big enough for Roy Moore. Now Roy Moore, he is uh running for the United States Senate in Alabama. He's he's running for, for the Senate seat that was left vacant when Jeff Sessions was appointed to be attorney general. Uh he beat a Republican opponent that was backed actually by Donald Trump, Luther Strange. Uh, so he's now the nominee down there and he is I, I think he's a lunatic. Uh I, I really do. I mean he said that he he didn't think Muslims should be able to serve in Congress, which, by the way, is a violation of the excuse me, got a frog in my throat, a, vo- a violation of the Constitution's prohibition on religious litmus test for federal office. Um, at times, he has been not clear on whether or not he would support the death penalty for homosexuals. Uh, he has been uh, unclear about whether or not he thinks homosexuality should be illegal. So, I mean, that that alone is bad enough. Well, here's breaking news. I, I called the guy a Cretan. I got all sorts of people upset with me about that. Well, here's a headline from the Washington Post. Nati, a woman says Roy Moore initiated sexual encounter when she was 14. He was 32 at the time. This is alleged to have happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's two other girls, too, uh, who were aged uh, 16 and 18. Uh, they're also going on the record saying that that he had relationships with them when they were in their early 30s. Now, the 16 and the 18-year-old, 
the age of consent in Alabama is 16. So my understanding is that those relationships, those skeezy since he was in his 30s, are probably legal. But the 14-year-old, that's a problem. I mean, that's that's like a legal problem. Um, I guess he met her. I mean, according to this article, he apparently met her. He was a, a 32-year-old district attorney at the time. Uh, a young girl, this this Lee Korfman and her mother uh, were outside of a courtroom in Alabama. Uh, they were sitting on a wooden bench. Uh, the mother was supposed to go in for uh, some sort of a child custody hearing. He offered to sit with the girl while the mom was in the hearing saying, you know, you don't want to bring your daughter into that. While the mom was in the hearing, he got her phone number. And then later on, he picked her up and they went out in the woods and they did things that a 32-year-old man should not be doing with a 14-year-old girl, allegedly. Now, this girl, this woman is going on the record. Uh, she has friends from her childhood who say who are corroborating what she said, saying that she told them about it at the time. Uh, this is awful. I, I I mean, it's it's just it's it's awful. And what scares me is that this is the sort of person in the Trump era that is rising to prominence in the in the Republican Party. I mean, this is this is what scares me. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wdy dot com. I guess you could call in and tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. But what scares me is that I, it seems like the Republican base, and I, I think the Democratic base is the same in a lot of ways. But right now, Republicans are in charge. They have the White House. They have Congress. And right now, I, I think there is a faction of the Republican base that is so angry they're willing to latch on to anybody who is ostensibly, you know, quote-unquote, anti-establishment. Even somebody like Roy Moore, completely ignoring the fact that some of these people are unfit for office. Roy Moore, even before these latest disclosures in the Washington Post, Roy Moore is unfit for federal office, unfit for any office. I mean, somebody who, who thinks homosexuality should be illegal, that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to serve in Congress? Who can't just come out and say that he doesn't think homosexuals should be executed simply because they're homosexuals? There should be no place in mainstream politics for somebody like that. And yet that is who is being elevated in the Trump era. And as somebody as a conservative, as a Republican, that scares me. That's not right. I mean, we, we can't. And this is, I've been talking about it for so long until it's gotten to the point that Republicans are letting their anger, and I understand why they're angry. I understand, I mean, not getting the health care bill done, um, you know, is tax reform going to get done? Who knows? I understand why Republicans are angry. I get why the Republican base is upset. And I'm not even saying that they're wrong to be upset, but I'm, unfortunately, I, I think we're, we're beginning to allow anger to become an ideology. And that's not a good thing. I just, I don't know. It's it, it, it frustrates me because this is a moment when Republicans could be getting a lot of stuff done. They could be moving the ball down the field. I look at the Obama era, and Democrats during the early years of President Obama's first term were very effective in implementing their policies. As wrong-headed as I think those policies were, they moved the football down the field. 
they got their priorities done. That's how it's supposed to work. You get elected to office, and then you use your majorities to advance your po- your policy goals. That's what all of this is about. That is what politics is about. But are Republicans doing that? We're so busy being angry. We're so busy, you know, with, with these ideological purity tests, which I don't even know what they mean anymore because it's not even – we don't even talk about policy anymore. We use the terms of ideology. We talk about people being conservative or liberal or progressive or Republican or Democratic. And those may as well be team names. For all that they actually mean, they don't really seem to mean anything. We're willing to, to just line up behind anybody who's anti-establishment. We're going to line up behind anybody who has just the right flavor of bombast. As long as they're shouting the right things into a microphone, the rest of it doesn't matter. And that's scary. And I honestly, I see the same thing on the left. I don't think Bernie Sanders is really all that different than Roy Moore. Absent, you know, obviously, you know, this uh, potentially criminal allegation about underage sex. Uh, you know, I think Bernie Sanders is is the same sort of, of, of slobbering populist blowhard as the people on the left. I, I I don't think that there's really a serious policy platform there. I think a lot of what Bernie Sanders proposes is ridiculous. It's impractical. It's not going to work. Even if, even if he got his way and we were able to implement it, it's unworkable policy because it's not really crafted to work. It's not really crafted to be the sort of thing that Americans can you know, put their faith in, and that's going to, you know, accomplish the goals that he says it's going to accomplish. It's not about that. It's just about making people angry. That's all it's about anymore. That's that's all our politicians seem interested in anymore is just angering their base, enrage the base, whip up the base, drive turnout, and beat the other team. And then when you get into office, it's about keeping your base enraged, keeping them engaged, and keeping the other side from taking over, and nobody's governing anymore. Drives me nuts. Can you tell, Natil? A little bit. I'm a little frustrated. You don't say. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna switch gears. We're gonna talk about mineral rights. Josh Wants, an attorney from the Vogel Law Firm, coming on next. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at wday.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAYM, 93.1 FM. I've got a frog in my throat. All right. got to pull it together, Natil. You can do it. The show must go on. Joining me now is uh, attorney Josh Swanson. He's from the Vogel Law Firm, and I'm, I'm sure he could probably sum everything up better than I can. Maybe he can correct me if I'm getting this wrong. At issue, and, and he has been representing uh, clients, the, the Wilkinson family, uh, who have been fighting this fight for, for a while now. But at issue are mineral rights under Lake Sakakawea. Uh, that is a man-made lake. When it was flooded, the property owners, uh, the, the government essentially paid them for the surface rights to their land, but they maintained 
the mineral rights, which is the rights to things like oil or gravel or whatever that are under the surface. Um, for a long time, those mineral rights probably weren't worth much because we didn't really have the technology to go under the lake to develop them, but that technology exists now. Those those uh, those minerals are being developed now. But the state of North Dakota says it's their minerals because when the lake was flooded, the lake is now the Missouri River. So the, the state of North Dakota is saying they don't not just the minerals under the historic channel of the Missouri River through the, the lake, but also under the flooded areas of the lake as well. Now, the legislature has weighed in and sided with the mineral, the private mineral rights owners. The North Dakota Supreme Court has weighed in and sided with the uh, mineral rights owners, the private mineral rights owners, but yet the North Dakota Attorney General's office persists. Uh, and it's, it's I, I, I don't know, Josh, it's starting to seem a little bit ridiculous to me. Did I get that summary right? Am I missing anything? No, Rob, that's that's spot on, and it's, it's really something out of a, a bad... John Grisham novel as opposed to, to something, you know, you mentioned the, the legislature spoke on it, they did, and not just mineral owners, but the oil companies, you know, we fought to get that legislation passed. The Supreme Court recognized that the state did not have a claim, and yet here we are, the AG's office persists in wanting to make a claim to it, and they're telling the district court they filed a motion saying they need nine more months after the study called for by the legislation is conducted to figure out what they're going to do next and it's it's absolutely ridiculous is the right word there's a there's a lot more words i could use if you starting with four letters but i'll uh, i'll well, 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 hold on absurd. Well, hold on josh we got the fcc listening so let's not do anything <laughs> crazy uh all right so what's what's it what's at stake for the family here i mean and and your client, I mean, there's obviously I I'm 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 pretty sure you don't represent all of the the mineral rights owners, but uh, your clients own minerals. I mean, what's at stake for them? I mean, what I mean, they've obviously probably paid you a whole lot of money. I mean, not to say there's anything necessarily wrong with that to fight this fight, but I mean, do they have money coming to them? What what's at stake for them in all this? I mean, what what, what are they waiting for? Sure, and that's a great question. They own approximately 284 mineral acres that the state is wrongfully claiming. And a result, as a result of what the AG's office is doing, our clients who had entered leases with oil companies going back nearly 60 years, they're not able to receive any of those royalties, any of those proceeds. They're being put into suspense. So a way to think of it is, is kind of think of it as an escrow. Those funds are being escrowed, yet my clients keep on racking up attorney's fees um, on my behalf, and even as a lawyer and, and someone who obviously likes to get paid for what I do, it, it's right. fundamentally unfair when the AG's office makes my clients continue to fight after the legislature and Supreme Court has spoken on this and, and have been very clear on it. So it's very, very frustrating that we have to continue fighting this and my clients have to continue incurring fees after the issue has been decided. How much, I mean, can you tell us how much money is, is in, I mean, how much money is sitting in that escrow? Are we allowed to know that? Yeah, it, it, I would estimate there right now there's there's probably close to uh, the royalties on those wells, and there's several wells producing, and they're very strong wells. I would estimate somewhere between uh, three quarters of a million and a million dollars. Wow, that's uh, not chump change. So no. so here's here's the thing, I mean, because it's, it's not just your clients, but... It's really everybody who owns mineral acres under under you know lakes of Kakawea. Um Overall, I, I mean, there's 
if, if if we had to go back and unwind a lot of this, that, that seems like a big deal. Why does this? Why does the state of North Dakota need another nine months? I mean, it seems like the legislature has weighed in. Governor Burgum obviously weighed in. He signed the bill that that the legislature passed. Uh, the the North Dakota Supreme Court has weighed in. What is the Attorney General's office doing at this point? I mean, what's what's yet to be settled? Eh, there's really nothing yet to be settled. I mean, the, the statute itself requires a study, and under that study, the legislature said they should use all the pre. Garrison Dam, Sakakawea parameters that determine who owns the minerals, and using those factors of the historical river as it existed pre-dam, private mineral owners like my clients will almost certainly be found to own the minerals. So there's there's really there is no need for nine months. Period, and we'll we'll be filing our response brief to the state's motion to stay tomorrow. And there's absolutely zero reason why they need nine months after the study's done to figure out what they're going to do on it. And we'll be very, very adamant and clear on that when we file our response brief tomorrow. Is this a pretty unprecedented... I mean, obviously, Lake Sakakawea is a a pretty unique thing. Uh, You know, a man-made lake of of that magnitude. There's not not a lot of those around. Um, But, I mean, is this pretty unique where where the state... Because this really seemed to have just come out of the... The blue. I mean, I, I first heard about it. I mean, obviously, Lake Sakakawea has been around for a long time now. Um, it, it seemed like, you know, when, when they did the original buyouts, who owns the mineral rights was, was settled. What prompted the state of North Dakota to just come out of the blue and, and just start making this claim to these mineral rights, which I, I, I think has been pretty well established now. The state doesn't actually own. Yeah. And, and, I would say it's got to be the money because when the when the minerals weren't worth anything back in the 50s, 60s, etc., they're under the lake. You mentioned we didn't have the technology to extract that, and now you know once the 2000s approach and between horizontal drilling and fracking come about, there's the technology to get that oil and gas out to capture it to extract it, and all of a sudden it's, it's worth a lot more money, and somebody either at the land board or their office or the AG's office decided, well, hey, let's let's make a claim to those minerals under the lake, even though they had never claimed them before. So I think that's a big part of it, Rob. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the most frustrating thing is, um, and I like to think I'm a pretty good lawyer, but you don't need a legal degree or any sort of legal training. I mean, it's a fundamental bedrock principle of constitutional law that the government can't flood private property and, and claim that they own it. So it's a really common sense issue. And, you know, I, I can respect the fact that, you know, the AG's office wanted to fight it. That's their prerogative, not mine. But now that the legislature spoke on it, and we have an opinion from the North Dakota Supreme Court, the highest judicial body in our great state, the fact that they want to thumb their nose at it and continue fighting it is, is absolutely ridiculous. Is, is that what they're doing? I mean, they want another nine months to to what? Like put together a potential appeal, or I can they? I, I guess I don't understand what they need another nine months for. Yeah, they and they and they don't, and that and that's that's the that's the key to it. There's there's no need for another nine months. And their brief to the district court, what they had said, they need nine months to determine whether or not they need to conduct any sort of discovery or file any sort of motions. Well, there are no motions that will need to be made. There's no discovery that will need to be done. Any sort of germane issue to this litigation was decided. So there's one one of two outcomes here, Rob. One, 
the study will decide that private mineral owners like the Wilkinsons and others own the minerals. And by some crazy, bizarre turn of events, if the study does not conclude that, the North Dakota Supreme Court, in their opinion in our case, said, and I can tell you where it's at, it's in paragraphs 24 and 25, have said if, if that's the case, then an unconstitutional taking will have occurred and the state will have to compensate my clients and other mineral owners similarly affected, as our case will serve as precedent, will have to compensate those mineral owners millions and millions of dollars for claiming their minerals. So there's there's no need for a nine-month delay. And I can speculate that you know the state might have some arguments up their sleeves, but I think at the end of the day, the key thing is the North Dakota Supreme Court has determined if the state's claiming it, then there's a taking, and there's a taking, and you can't get around the United States yeah. Constitution on that period. Well, that's 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 really interesting what you just said because I I think a lot of people are thinking, well, okay, so the state's got an interest here in the money, right? I mean, that's what you said too. I mean, that's obviously yeah. the the lake was flooded back in the 1950s. The state yeah. didn't make any claim until all of a sudden, like horizontal drilling came along and made those minerals accessible. Now, all of a sudden, the state's saying, oh, well, you know, we've got a claim, or at least the attorney general's office is saying that anyway, because remember, the legislative branch and and the governor have weighed in on this on the side of, well, no, those aren't our minerals. It seems to be the attorney general's office is just sort of on their own special mission here. But so I, I guess I'm looking at this as a taxpayer is at this point, what can we win? Because on one hand, we're either going to lose and the survey is going to say, no, these minerals belong to the private owners, in which case all the royalties are theirs and we've just wasted a bunch of my, uh, time and money on legal expenses for nothing, or they somehow win the case or, or win and, and the survey comes back and says, oh, no, these are the state's minerals, in which case we've still got to pay the people back for those minerals because you can't just, state can't just take property, right? The state can take property from people, but they got to give them money for that property. So at this point, what does the state stand to win? I, it just seems like it's lose-lose for us at this point. It is, and that's 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 really the big question here. Why why these proceedings shouldn't be drug out any further? And in fact, on October thirteenth, I sent a letter to the attorney general's office saying just that. You know, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Either way, the private mineral owners will either get their minerals back, or they're going to have to be compensated for that. For that, so we asked the state to sign a stipulation disclaiming any interest in that, and then the private mineral owners can go on with their lives and, and everyone else can move on from it. And uh, on top of that, you're you're absolutely right. You know, you mentioned a unique situation between the, the flooding of private property, which just is unique. You know, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head where several branches of our state government, the legislature, the governor, and the Supreme Court have spoken on this issue, and yet the attorney general's office has, you know, decided that they're going to go a different direction on it. Well, Josh, that's all the time we got time for. Uh, good luck. Yeah, I appreciate it, Rob, and appreciate you covering this story. All right, Josh Swanson from the Vogel Law Firm. Uh, it's just sometimes it's just remarkable what our government does. Hey, we're going to check in with Jay. He's out on location. We'll be right back. This is the Rob Report on 970WDAY.com. Don't go away. I don't think there's any power the government has. I, I I guess I mean the government they can put us in jail, right? The the government can can 
execute you in some states. Uh, the federal government certainly has the death penalty. Uh, you know, the government has a lot of power over us. And, and among those powers is, is to take our the ability to take our property, right? Like if the government decides that they need your property for some public purpose or, you know, if we go back to the, um, you know, the, the, the Kelo versus New London decision by the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't even really have to be a public purpose. I mean, the public purpose could be like economic development. So the government could like take your property and give it to another private interest for the sake of economic development. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court decided that that was legal. That was a legal use of the government's power of, of what's called condemnation or uh, eminent domain, I, I think is the other term that's often used for it. Well, here in North Dakota, I mean, all of a sudden, I, I mean, imagine that, that the state government, right, like your family owned property that gets flooded by the federal government because they built the Garrison Dam and that created Lake Sakakawea, right? So your family's land gets flooded. And the government gives you compensation for the surface rights to your land. Because obviously you can't farm it, you can't build on it, you can't do anything on it anymore because it's underwater. But they don't pay you for the mineral rights. And then decades later, those mineral rights become very valuable because oil producers, gas producers have figured out how to do things like horizontal drilling and get down under that lake bed and produce those minerals. That's a good thing, right? All of a sudden, those are very valuable. But along comes the state of North Dakota and says, oh, no, those are ours. And, and not just that those are ours, but, but, but to continue, the attorney general's office to continue making that argument in the face of state lawmakers passing legislation saying, no, those are not our minerals. In the face of the original purchase agreements, which did not include mineral rights. Which, by the way, is a fact settled by the North Dakota Supreme Court. Which is said, even if we decide, even if a survey decides that those minerals belong to the state of North Dakota, the property owners were never compensated for them. So the government has to go back and give those people their money back. Because that's what our U.S. Constitution requires. If the government takes your property, they have to compensate you for it. I mean, at this point, what, what is left to... Something's going on at the Attorney General's office. I I, I mean, I, I don't know. I like Wayne Stengem. I think he's a good guy. But something's going on over there that they're continuing to fight this. And this has been just sort of a bizarre thing. Lawmakers have been blindsided by this. The Bergam administration, I think, in a lot of ways has been blindsided by this. This sort of pursuit of these mineral claims under Lake Sakakawea. And nobody knows really why. Why is the state fighting this fight? They have nothing to win. Even if, even if it's decided that these minerals belong to the state, the state has to pay them back for it anyway. There's nothing here to win. It's it's just, it's remarkable. I mean, until these, these eminent domain things where the state comes in and, like, buys properties, I mean, they're always controversial, right, for, for a number of reasons. But this one, it just, it's so egregious. I mean, this this should be, I mean, you don't need a law degree to understand these people were never compensated for those minerals. The state can't just decide they're theirs. And that's what they tried to do. I mean, it's, it's theft is a strong word, but I'm not so sure it applies here. That's not your property, state of North Dakota. That doesn't belong to you. Those belong to private people. I mean, this one family, you're talking about $750,000. 
that's essentially found money because those mineral rights were worthless until horizontal drilling and that came along and they could get under the lake bed. So all of a sudden, $750,000 to a million dollars is what, you know, the attorney Josh Swanson told us in the last segment. $750,000 to a million dollars for that family that the state of North Dakota just decided, oh, no, it's ours. And this family had to hire a lawyer and fight the state of North Dakota all the way to the state Supreme Court, even as other branches of government, the legislature and, and the governor's office, saying, well, no, those are not our minerals. Why are you doing this to this family? Not just this family, but other property owners as well. It's it's a travesty. I mean, I realize it's not a real sexy issue, but, you know, this is the stuff we've got to be vigilant about. This is the stuff. It's it's cases like these that are why I'm a conservative, why I believe in limiting government. I don't, disagree, I don't disagree with you on this one at all. Stuff Stuff like this happens, and it... It's just gross. It really is. All right. Uh, we're going to go. Kaylee McEnany from the uh, Republican National Committee. We're going to talk tax reform coming up next. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. How could I ever call you mine? You're too pretty, too simple. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. On with me now to talk tax reform is Kaylee McEnany. She is a uh, spokeswoman for the Republican National Committee. Kaylee, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. How are you, Rob? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, well, tell us, how how is tax reform advancing, and, and how is... It seems like an odd dynamic because we have a House bill that's coming up, but we also have a Senate bill that was coming up. I was talking with Congressman Kevin Kramer yesterday, and he was talking about how it's a, it's a little bit weird. But, but tell us, what, what are the dynamics? How are they shaping up? Well, this is par for the course in Washington. We know uh, the House will typically create their version of the bill. The Senate will create theirs. And then we come together in conference, and we combine the two into one plan. Um, what is worrisome, and this should be differentiated fr- from this scenario I'm about to lay out, what was worrisome was when we had, with Obamacare repeal and replace, multiple House versions of the bill, multiple Senate versions of Obamacare repeal and replace. Um, that's, that's a problem when you have many versions um, in one body of the legislature. But what we're seeing now is par for the course. The House and the Senate um, developed a framework behind the scenes together before they developed their respective bills. So they're on the same page. Uh, this is how it's supposed to work, and, and I'm optimistic. 701-293-9000. You're to call in 888-970-9329. Kaylee, uh, let me uh, – coming out today, I mean, it's, this is being scored that it's going to add – to the national debt. And I'm hearing a lot of Democrats locally here saying, huh, some some conservatives, these Republicans are, uh, they're pushing a tax bill that's going to make the, uh, the debt and the deficit situation even worse. Respond to some of that. Well, in the short term, perhaps, but definitely not in the long term. And some of your listeners, if they're doing their research, they'll look at uh, scoring done by, by governmental bodies. And that scoring, um, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but they use what's called static scoring, which means they look at the plan in isolation and they'll say this will add $1.5 trillion to the deficit over a 10-year period. 
But what Paul Ryan uses, and I think it's a much smarter way to look at this, he uses dynamic scoring, which basically takes into account the fact that you're going to have significant economic growth with this plan. Um, And proof of that is the Reagan years. When Reagan lowered taxes um, in eight of the 10 subsequent years, there was actually more federal revenue coming in than less. It may seem counterintuitive, but when the economy grows, people make more money. Uh, That means more coming into Washington and more to work with to to solve our debt issues. So um, I understand the concern, but, you know, rest assured, Republicans are keeping their eye on, on spending as well. We have uh, I'm looking at a press release from Political. They have a new poll out, uh, the Political Morning Consult poll. Uh, they're saying uh, the, the, the headline on it is support for GOP tax plan ticks down but remains positive. And, and they're saying about 45 percent uh, among registered voters who have heard of the plan, about 45 percent support it. That's down slightly from last week uh, where it was at 48 uh, percent. The percentage of voters who have, 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 have heard about the proposal and oppose it uh, held steady at 36. Um, I mean, politically, are, are we losing ground for, for the tax plan? I mean, are, are, is it becoming less popular? No. And, and I think, look, when when this takes effect, um, hopefully it's retroactive. That, that would be great, meaning that the American people will see benefits sooner. And by benefits, I mean more money in their pockets. Um, and if this passes and, and Americans do, you know, come tax season, see that they're keeping more of their money, they're getting more in the form of the child tax credit. I'm fairly confident that 45 percent number is going to look more like uh, 90 percent because what American citizen doesn't want to keep more of their money? I, I, the the polling was interesting because there are some elements of the tax plan that are very popular, such as increasing the child tax credit uh, from as much as a thousand dollars per child to sixteen hundred dollars per child, uh, nearly doubling the standard deduction from twelve thousand seven hundred dollars to twenty four thousand uh, dollars, reducing the tax rate imposed on many small businesses to twenty five percent. You know those all you know have around sixty percent support, but the unpopular parts are reducing the corporate tax rate to twenty percent. Uh, no longer allowing individuals to deduct their state income taxes from the federal taxable income. Uh, only about 30% support that. Increasing the threshold for the estate tax to $10 million, uh, and later eliminating it, and, and also eliminating many itemized deductions. Uh, they're you know showing very low support for those. Are, are we going to see some, some changes in some of these provisions, maybe to adapt to how the public is reacting to them? Well, maybe on the state and local uh, tax you will, because I know the Senate plan, if reporting is correct, um, treats that a little differently than the House. The other components you mentioned, uh, no, I don't think we'll see much movement. Definitely not. I can assure you uh, we're not going to see a lot of movement on the corporate tax rate coming down. That's one of the president's uh, key sticking points for him to sign a piece of legislation. But I think you make a good point in that you know the onus is really on Republicans to explain why the more unpopular provisions of the plan are necessary. Um, the corporate tax rate, for instance, I'll just give you one example rather than taking your listeners through each one. But for for the last few years, we've had corporations fleeing overseas. It's entirely legal what they're doing, but they're putting their headquarters overseas and taking advantage of the low corporate tax rate in places like Ireland, for instance, but yet they're benefiting by keeping the vast majority of their business in the United States. So do your listeners want uh, to see corporations fleeing abroad, taking advantage of U.S. law, but paying um, all that money on, in taxes to other countries. I don't think so. And that's why the corporate rate has to come down. We have to be competitive. It will ultimately mean more jobs and higher wages for the American worker. Is, is that part of the explanation? Because earlier we were talking about, you know, s- some of the scoring that shows that this is going to add to the national debt. 
But, you know, your argument is, well, if we look at it dynamically, which I, I think is the honest way to look at it, because let's face it, when the tax code changes, how business, how people behave changes, right? People adapt. People don't just keep marching on doing all the same things they were doing, even after massive tax reform. That changes how people do their business. It changes how they make a lot of their decisions and, and uh, you know, probably in, in some positive ways that might generate some more revenue. But is that part of it? Like if, if we don't, I mean, is that part of that dynamic analysis that in order to, to alleviate some of the concerns about, you know, the impact on the national debt, that, that we need to bring that corporate rate down to 20 percent so we can get those yeah, businesses back yeah, in the United ab- States? Yes, Rob, absolutely. And you're really smart to talk about taxes that way. I, I think not enough people talk about it the way you just did when you mentioned that, you know, it's, this isn't not this isn't just tax cuts. Everything is an incentive structure. So when you cut someone's taxes, they're more or have a tax credit, they're more likely to engage in that activity. Um, when you level a tax, they're less likely to engage in that activity. So when you talked about, you know, lowering the tax rate, which will for corporations, which will encourage them to move home, that's more money coming from overseas. We have trillions parked overseas. And, you know, the dynamic scoring takes into account the fact that you're going to see corporations move that money back here to the United States. And there, there are more provisions than just a corporate tax rate that do that in the plan, but it's an important, important component when you're talking about debt and deficits and long-term outlook. I think it's interesting that you said the onus is on Republicans to explain this because there's there's a lot of it. I've, I've been reading from this political morning consult poll, which I, I think is interesting. But, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff flying around about whether or not people think that this is going to help them or hurt them. This is really complex stuff. And I, I think a lot of people struggle maybe to understand some of the implications when we make some of these changes. Is, is that what you're talking about? Like, like Republicans need to get out in front and explain why it's important to give corporations a tax cut, why it's important to to increase the itemized deductions uh, or the, excuse me, the, the standard deduction. Uh, is, is, is that I mean, is, is that why it's important? Because this is such a complex issue that touches on us in, in ways that that maybe a lot of voters just don't even realize. Absolutely. Uh, these are complex issues. They're hard to talk about in a simple and clear way. But that's why we need our Republican mem- members out on the airways, talking to their constituents, explaining what this means for them. It's, it's easy to understand more money in your pocket. So, you know, that that'll be a selling point for um, all Americans. Um, but it, it's much harder to understand the indirect benefit that you're going to get um, from your company. But just imagine, just like um, you yourself are more likely to go out and and buy a new car if you have more money in your pocket, your employer is more likely to raise your wages or invest in your company or create a new position if he has more money in his pocket. So it's um, the same sort of logic. It's hard to understand, but it is important for Republicans to come out um, and explain this in a way that, that people can understand. Last question. What's the consequences for Republicans if they don't get this done? Uh, they have to get this done. I, I don't even want to think of consequences because it has to happen. We promise this. Um, I understand your, a lot of your listeners are probably frustrated. Obamacare repeal and replace didn't happen. Um, I'm frustrated. We're frustrated here at the RNC. Um, but tax cuts have to happen, um, and it will happen. We're very confident. Paul Ryan has said that today. This is going to happen. All right. Well, let's hope it does. Kaylee, thanks for the time. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Kaylee McEnany, spokeswoman for the Republican National Committee. We're going to take a break. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Pay me my money, down. Pay me.
Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WAYM, 93.1 FM. You know what's been sort of interesting? There's been this talking point that has come out from the, the sort of Democratic talking point. It, it's interesting to me how, how much of the, the Democratic Party, like there's there's another radio station that, that is essentially just a wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, everybody over there is like a former Democratic elected official. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody knows who I'm talking to. I mean, let's let's face it. There's not a lot of. No, it, it's a propaganda mill is what it is. And and out of that propaganda mill has come this talking point that somehow Governor Doug Burgum and his, his staff were remiss for not announcing Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger's DUI. You know, he, he was arrested back the end of September uh, last month, ended up uh, pleading guilty to, uh, to a DUI charge, uh, that, that he was somehow remiss in – not, I, I guess, announcing to, to the public because the governor's office knew, you know, a couple of weeks before the public did that the, the tax commissioner had gotten this DUI. Um, the problem with this talking point is that news of the DUI was public almost immediately after the tax commissioner's arrest, right? Like incarceration records from, from the jail, the arrest record, all that stuff. Is public record. As a matter of fact, the statewide there's a statewide website, a statewide data database for for court proceedings, uh, and it was available. Like like the DUI arrest was on there October sixth. That was about two weeks. The first media reports on this hit hit the internet about October twentieth. So for two weeks, the tax commissioner's arrest was public record. It was available for anybody who wanted to look. Uh, and, and really more than two weeks. I mean, going all the way back to, to, you know, from September 30th to October 20th, nobody reported on that. Now, whose fault is that? Is that the governor's fault? That's the governor's fault for not coming out and announcing to everybody that the tax commissioner, an, another statewide elected, elected official, got a DUI. That's his fault. I, I think that's a little petty. I, I, I think that's a little bit ridiculous that that's going on i i mean it's it's i i don't, I don't know i mean where, where if you're gonna blame anybody blame the news media i mean heck i i felt bad i am normally on top of that sort of story as a matter of fact the first time the tax commissioner had a drinking problem that first set of stories from the 2014 cycle i broke those stories i'm normally on top of that stuff i was kicking myself for missing that public record for basically a month I, I felt bad about that. I should have caught that. I work in the I work in the news media. I should have caught that. I should have broke that news. And really, so should the, the beat reporters. There's a crime beat reporter in Bismarck. Why didn't they pick up on it? Why didn't they report it? I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. But I know the blame doesn't go to Governor Burgum's office. Okay, so he's aware of the fact that a statewide elected official got a DUI and that it's being handled uh, in the normal fashion that DUIs are going to be handled. And I think his office was even told that, that Rauschenberger himself would be making uh, an announcement about it at some point. It's not the governor's responsibility to make that announcement. And it's not like anybody was hiding it. It wasn't like it was being swept under the rug. It was publicly available information. Anybody who wanted to could have looked it up. And apparently nobody caught on to it. Nobody on social media, nobody in the news media, nobody caught on to it. Now, I, I don't know how that happened, but it did happen. And 
I, I don't know whose fault that is. I, I, I guess, you know, I guess Democrats, you know, not having a lot of, you know, substantive issues to campaign on this thoroughly marginalized party that has mostly been left by moderates. I mean, really, the only people left in the North Dakota Democratic Party anymore are angry, progressive extremists. They're angry because this scandal didn't come out a couple weeks before and it's Governor Burgum's fault, I guess. I don't know. It's a nonsense issue. It's not Governor Burgum's fault. Anybody who wanted to look could have looked. Now, if it comes out that somehow uh, the, the, the public record was suppressed, that this information wasn't made available in the same routine way it is for everybody else that gets arrested for DUI, then okay, then we've got a problem. But there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that. By every indication, this information about this arrest was made available almost immediately after the arrest. It was there for anybody, any reporter, any partisan political operative, uh, any radio host or blogger or anybody else who wanted to look could have found it. The fact that none of us did find it, none of us looked for it, you know, I guess shame on us. But to blame the governor for that, how ridiculous. How ridiculous. That's, that, is a, that is a political operative trying to manufacture a talking point, trying to manufacture a scandal or a story. It's silly. really is. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. Do you think, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think the governor deserved blame? I mean, do you think the governor should have picked up on it? Love to hear from you. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, and Atiyah, what do you think? Do you think the governor's to blame? Oh, absolutely not. I I think yeah. I think you're right. Somebody, some beat reporter, should have picked up on it at some point in time. I I don't know why it didn't happen. I kick myself. Like I I'm normally I break a lot of those stories. I am normally on top of that stuff for whatever reason. I missed it. Well, yeah, and, um, and I didn't you look. Know, that, I that didn't hear it. Sometimes, like I mean, if you're if you're going through a whole bunch of names on the like jail roster for the night before or whatever some maybe maybe you missed it it that happens but i don't i don't i cannot find any way to extrapolate that to the governor is to blame for not announcing right. it well and there's i mean there's emails i mean he was his office was told about it they were aware of it i mean there's no question about it but i don't understand like this this idea that they have like a responsibility to announce it right the Rauschenberger doesn't work for Governor Burgum. He's an elected official in his own right. And my understanding is they they knew he was arrested. They knew he was going to be going through. You know, now, if, if they had gotten wind that, that Rauschenberger was getting some sort of special treatment, then okay, yeah, they should have acted to prevent that. But he's, you know, by all appearances, went through all the normal channels, through all the normal process. He ultimately made the announcement himself, you know, putting it out there. What's the big deal? Exactly. I think I think it would be different if it had been, say, one of one of the people that works in Governor Burgum's office or one of his top advisors or something like that, that, you know, he we elected Governor Burgum and then Governor Burgum hired these people to come work for him. That would be a case where I think the governor would be. Would be required or I would hope he would put out that information when he when he has it. But the tax commissioner is not one of those people that he hired. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not his staff. It's not in his office. He's aware of it. 
uh, it's up to the tax commissioner to handle it. Now, I don't know. Maybe if you want to be critical that, say, the tax commissioner himself should have announced it earlier. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. What did we lose by him waiting until closer to when he was going to plead guilty to it? I, I don't know. I mean, he put out the statement. He handled it. Um, it is what it is. I, I mean, I don't feel like this guy's been given a pass at all. So, all right, we're going to go. We'll come back with the rundown right after this. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Locations, who is fast and thorough and sharp as a tack. She's playing with her jewelry. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. All right, Natil, what do we got in the headlines today? Well, we're going to start with a doozy. Facebook asks users for nude photos in a project to con- to combat revenge porn. What? I'm not okay. kidding you. So, so Facebook want Facebook is asking people for nude photos. Basically, yes. Um, it's it's a limited program. It's a, it's a pilot program right now, so they're just testing it out. But basically, it it's meant to help people who are worried that their partner or ex-partner may disseminate intimate photos of themselves to the public at large in an effort to get revenge on some perceived slight in their relationship, which is the, the basis for revenge porn. And what Facebook is doing is asking users to provide them with the image so that it can go into... A, an image recognition software program where if that image then pops up somewhere else, it will be automatically blocked from being viewed anywhere. Oh, okay. So I, I, I guess that makes sense. I it, mean, that doesn't does. sound so crazy. It's, but it's, it's still, it makes me feel a little squicky inside because the, the general idea then there is who do you trust more, your well, ex-partner or Facebook? Right. Well, I mean, I mean, Facebook's taking on a lot of liability here too. They really are. I mean, are they going to are they going to keep like a, a library of images? I mean, once they've scanned an image, is it just data at that point, or do they maintain the image in some sort of a library? That that I'm not sure about. Um, and what's to keep some Facebook employee like at some point? Facebook is going to have these photos. I mean, even if they eventually get rid of them. At some point, while they're being scanned, they're going to have these photos like on their server. What stops some employee from, you know, running into this treasure trove of amateur porn or some hacker or something like that? It's, right. It's it's a it's a difficult situation. And these services never get hacked, right? I mean, that, that never, never happens. You can't tell me that 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 a a massive stockpile of amateur porn's not going to be a huge like holy grail for every nerdy hacker out there. Well, and the other thing to note is that specifically this only deals with the image being uh, put out there through Facebook, Facebook's messenger service, and Instagram. Because those are the only platforms that Facebook, the, the company, owns. So they could still go out over Twitter. Videos could still be put up on, say, like Pornhub or something like that. There's there's a lot of other places where, yeah. where that picture or you would think once you have up. a central repository like if you what would make sense is if you had a central repository of that information that other services could then tap into 
to use the screen. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then you're like, letting then you're letting for, more people see them, and the 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 point of the. But picture, that's assuming that that you're storing the images as images. Like if you were just storing them as data that couldn't be turned back into. I don't know how any of this works, but I can't I, I can't imagine because what they're what they're using is an image recognition software program. Yeah. So the the image would so have, they have to be to stored the as image? an image for it to be. Once it's scanned, do they have to like maintain the image? That would be an important question to ask. I think. Yeah, I I, I definitely need more information about it. It, it seems... file this under the what's the worst that could happen. <laughs> I think there's a. Can lot you of... imagine? Although this might make future political campaigns a lot easier if just everybody in the world has leaked nude photos. You just you know. <laughs> it's not a scandal anymore. Everybody's got them. I, I suppose. You, you know what the surefire way to make sure this doesn't happen? You release. Don't them. send people naked pictures of yourself. Nah, nah. You release them first, like Sia did. Who? Uh, she. Oh, is she the one on Twitter who like somebody was shopping around her? I saw the headline. Yeah, she, someone was threatening to uh, put out this nude photograph of her for sale for people. And she was like, well, screw that. Here's the picture. It was basically just of her from behind. You could see her butt. No. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're going to come to a day and age. Just everybody's going to have leaked naked photos out there. And there's a meme that goes around and it's like today, like, hey, I found a picture of your grandma. And it's like some black and white photo from the 30s or something. And then there's another one. Um. Or it's like, you know, 30 years from now, hey, I found a picture of your grandma, and it's like some Instagram photo in, like, a bikini on a beach, right? Like, that's <laughs> that's how it's going to be in the future. Yeah, probably. All right. Next. USA Today thinks a chainsaw bayonet is a popular AR-15 oh. accessory. You know, whenever there's a gun-related story, the, 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 the mainstream press's adventures in, like, trying to lecture the rest of us about it is is hilarious. I remember CNN did this after the... After the Las Vegas shooting on the bump stock thing, and they're showing this like animated image of what a bump stock supposed to be, and it's just like th- like that wasn't a bump stock. Like they showed an image of like an a- I think it was like an AR-15 variant, and then it had it had like a scope and it had a grenade launcher, but it did not have a bump stock. And they're like, "This is what a bump stock looks like," and it's like, "No, there's not even a bump stock in that picture." Okay, but the USA Today thing. It, it was like a, an infographic. It was a video infographic where the uh, AR-15 was in blue, like the gun itself. And then in gray, they were showing different possible modifications that can be made to that particular weapon. And the chainsaw bayonet is not fake. It does exist. It's real. It's a novelty thing. It's it's ridiculous. It's but, but fabulous. It, but it does <laughs> it does exist. I, I, the one that I the one that I found this morning when I was researching this was called like the Zombie X. Yes, it's I, they're they're kind of glorious. I've seen them. It's they're kind of a novelty thing. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody. I think it's stupid. But the the fact of the matter is that at least they they were not being factually inaccurate. And they were just being stupid. They were just they were just being hyperbolic. Because it is a yeah. possible modification to the AR-15. Well, I think because I think I read, and their correction was like, "But the shooter didn't actually have this." Well, yes. Well, that's not real, you know. And set aside. I mean, I it's it's not like if you're going to use a chainsaw in a situation like that, attaching it to the front of your rifle is probably not the most efficient way to use a chainsaw in that situation. It might be better off to just have the chainsaw. 
Just saying. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, TSA fails most tests in latest undercover operation at U.S. I'm airports. Not, I'm not surprised. I'm not either. ABC News just at the top, I think, was, was it just at the top of this hour, was talking about some poor guy who got handed the wrong ticket at the gate and then went through TSA security and... They checked his ID and they checked the ticket. And even though the names didn't match, they let him through and he got onto the plane. And it wasn't until the guy who whose ticket it actually was arrived to the same seat that they removed him from the plane like some sort of a criminal. And then figured out that they made the mistake. Like, I don't I don't mean to be demeaning, but when you go through the airport and you see the crack squad of quality personnel they got working at airport security... I'm just not buying it that these these bunch of, you know, clock punchers are going to stop anything. Well, and sometimes sometimes it's weird because um, I, I went through the airport in in Fargo and I took a bunch of my um, I took my DSLR camera with me and a bunch of lenses with me. And the Fargo airport took every one of my lenses and did like the explosive wipes on them to test to see if they were bombs. Huh. But. When I flew through Chicago and New York with those same lenses, nothing. Yeah. At the bigger you know airports. I, I actually, like, I had my computer bag, and I had I had taken it to something um, for my daughter, and it was, like, some arts and crafts thing. And I had, like, I had, like, like exacto knives and then, like, a utility knife in my bag, right? And I was flying. I think I was flying to Washington, D.C. And I had, I had, I had thought I had emptied my bag out. But I got all the way to D.C. through two through airport security and everything, and I had I had the knives still in my bag. Now I didn't dare try to fly back with them. I threw them away. Good plan. They were just cheap utility knives. I'm not trying to bring them back or anything like that. But I mean, I got all the way through. Like they scanned my bag and everything. They opened it up. They looked at the laptop. Everything. They didn't catch it. Caller Ken, you're on. What's up? Well, two quick things. I, I, I listened pretty closely to that, that, that report at the top of the hour, and I think what happened was two people came through with the same last name. Must have been, happened, because he got handed, yeah. they even said it was the same last name. And so then one guy got handed the one ticket, and the other guy got handed the other ticket. I don't know the last name, Jones or Jackson or Fredericks or whatever. And, and that's, that's how this, now these guys, I don't know the big danger there. I mean, it was a screw-up, of course, but they had a, a valid ticket. And they did go through security. So while it was a goof-up, I don't know that there was a necessarily a security threat. A mistake, for sure. Well, but, but not security, a security, security didn't check that the, the names were different when he went through. Because the first names were different. The last names were the same, but right. the first names oh, were yeah, different. Mistake. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there was okay, a goof-up. Well, but they, 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 yeah. they each had a valid ticket. But one of them inadvertently got handed the others, I think. Well, what is... They must, must have been close in line because that's, they take your ticket and they look at it. Usually it's one there was, by one. I just flew two days yeah. ago, and, and they just take your ticket, and they write on it, and they hand it back to you. Yeah, there was some scary number where like 80% of people were, were getting through or something like that. Because I think the Government Accountability Office, I think, is the one they just did a review. And there was some number in there that I, I think I saw. Is that in the article that you have? Yeah. Um, when ABC News asked the source if the failure rate was 80%, the response was, you're in the ballpark. But what's a failure? I mean, I, I, that's a big number. I don't know what a failure is. I would need to know that to know whether eighty percent shocks me or not. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know that we're accomplishing a lot with the TSA. 
to be well, honest with you. Well, but what you're doing is, at the very least, you know, you're, you're, you're putting it up for people who are going to try to do bad things to realize there is a system in place. Can anything you put in place be beaten? Sure. Are there going to be mistakes? Sure. But, you know, are people getting on with the bi- biggest things, handguns and I mean, I, I get we gotta have like we gotta have some baseline level of security there. I get yes. that. There's got to be some screening, and it's 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 not going to be perfect, and it's probably going to be beaten. I just hate some of the stupid stuff we're doing. I, I just some of it seems yes. self defeating. Um, oh, you take your shoes off. You take. I mean, you basically strip down, and you go on a thing, yeah. stand around. You know, you stand with your hands on your head, and then some guy comes, pats you down. I mean, it's just all right. Let's just get this over with, and let's get it. As, yeah, as efficient yeah. as we can about this, guys. I, I got some place to be. All right, fair, fair enough, Ken. Uh, you know, you know, my favorite thing from the airport. I, w- and I, I forget where this was, but I was getting on. I think it was maybe in Atlanta, and I came through airport security, and on the other side was a sign that said it was the recombobulation area. Oh, <laughs> like where you could like, recombob, re- like you got to put your belt back on and your shoes back on and your coat back on. You know what I mean? Like that's you hilarious. Put your bag I think back they should. Together. I think they should all be called the recombobulation. The recombobulation. How area. wonderful is that? That's recombobulate. Fabulous. All right, let's recombobulate this segment. <laughs> all right, you're listening to AM nine seventy WDAY ninety three point one FM, and that's the rundown. Welcome back, Grab Report. Last segment, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, we were talking about tax reform earlier in the program. Jamie emails, Rob, hearing your guest, and our guest was uh, Kaylee McEnany from the Republican National Committee. Uh, Rob, hearing your guest say that these corporate tax cuts will bring businesses back to U.S. soil, increase wages, etc., is a joke. The corporations will do whatever to pad their pockets. They're not going to give employees any more than they have to. It cuts into their bottom line profit. Our government is fleecing middle America. They will continue to as they help their rich buddies get richer. All the while, middle income worker will pay big corporate tax bill. Uh, almost like a welfare system for the rich. We will never have a government looking out for the better good of its people. Only the elite win. I, I think there is, and I, I don't agree with most of this. I think there is truth here though which is that corporations will do whatever to to increase their bottom line i i think that's a given of course they will they've got shareholders that's their job is to maximize profits and i think that's also why the tax reform is good cutting the corporate tax rates are good i mean because let's the corporations which are in fact big and powerful and have lots and lots of money and lots and lots of lawyers and can figure out lots and lots of ways to avoid pay or high paying higher tax rates they're not just going to sit still when you raise taxes on them. I think the point is 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 to to pin taxes down at a level where it's it's frankly cheaper for them to just pay the taxes and not try to avoid it. You know, re- really, it's the same sort of argument you made uh, with with like piracy, right? Where people were pirating movies and TV shows and everything like that on uh, on the internet. And Netflix comes along and makes it easier to just pay them a rate every month. You just do it legally. I, I think that's where we've got to get with our tax code. I mean, we, we get caught up in this sort of class war 
We're going to get the big corporations, and we're going to get the rich, and we're going to get the elite, forgetting that they're going to react to that. They're not just going to sit still for it. We're better off just setting the tax, making the tax code simple and low so that people will just pay it and move on. The more complex we make it, the more draconian we make it, I, I don't know that it helps. Uh, let's see. Um, Austin email. Oh, on the recombobulation area. Uh, he says that there's one in the, uh, Milwaukee airport. I don't think it was Milwaukee. I was in, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I am pretty sure uh, it wasn't Milwaukee, but I'm glad there's more recombobulation areas out there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jamie has called in to respond. Go ahead, Jamie. What's up? Hey, Rob, how you doing? Uh, listen to your doing show good. quite a bit. appreciate it. Uh, good. And I just wanted to comment. You you just said one thing here that why should cor- uh, corporations just stand by and not fight back about you know paying cheaper taxes? But the right. same thing goes. Why should we just sit back and let, right. let them tax us to being broke? You know? I agree. I think I think the tax code for everybody, corporations, individuals, it ought to be low. It ought to be broad. And I, I think that's the problem yeah. is even even individuals like like if you if you make the tax code too complex, if you make it too high, uh, people are just going to cheat or they're going to find legal loopholes or they're going to move or they're going to take any number of other actions to avoid that pain. And, and so I, I there there is there is sort of a, a, a thre- an invisible threshold for how much a, a given population, whether it's you know a group of businesses or a group of individuals, whatever. There is an upper limit to what we could tax. We could set the tax rate at whatever we want. There's an upper limit on what we're actually going to collect because people are going to react to it in a lot of different ways to avoid it once you get beyond a certain level. Yeah, and and, and one of the things, I guess my, my point about that was with your guests that you had on there is um, I, I live in the real world, and when she said, you know, corporations, they're, they're basically hoping – that big businesses would bring this stuff back, but if they can take advantage of that, that nobody's going to penalize them. They, they, they got big yeah. money. I mean, so if they take the tax break, doesn't mean that they're going to move businesses back here or give their people more. I think more it money. could though. I think it could though. Like if we, well, I, and I, I, I mean, I don't know that it's just going to like immediately result in like pay increases, but in terms of like. If you make it easier to just keep your money in the United States and pay the tax as opposed to moving it overseas or moving it through some shelter or paying a bunch of lawyers, because that all has a cost too, right? Like you're moving your money around or you're offshoring or you're paying lawyers or whatever to to work around these taxes. If you make it easier to just pay the tax and move on, they'll do that. Because, again, like you said, they're motivated by the bottom line. So let's just make make the easiest way, the most profitable thing to do, to keep your business here in America and pay American taxes. Yeah, and one of the videos I just watched, and, and I've just become a, l- a little bit more involved in kind of watching the tax deal because um, it, it's kind of scary what what they're proposing. And there's a there's a video on YouTube of, of somebody in the one of the House committees talking with uh, uh, the uh, the guy who's coming up with these these laws and asked all these questions. If the regular Joe Blow, you and I. Um, you know, asked if a teacher could write this stuff off. No, they can't with the new bill, but all these business can, businesses can write stuff off. They're basically putting all the weight on the middle America people 
to yeah. foot the bill. See, that's why and, I don't like a lot of the deduct. I, I don't think anybody. I don't like the idea of writing things off. I, I I think it ought to be just a flat rate, no exceptions. Just pay the rate. Let's move on. I, I mean, we play games with all these deductions and everything else. You know, and it's and a lot of it's just born of politics. A lot of it's born of sort of social engineering. The politicians want to produce certain outcomes, so they create deductions and credits and everything else. It just complicates the code, and I don't think it helps. That's all the time we got. For, uh, appreciate the call. Uh, let's see another emailer. Candy says a few years ago here in Fargo, I went through security with the wrong ticket. My husband had accidentally bought the ticket in his name. Neither the person at the ticket counter nor the security person noticed. I noticed it myself before I boarded and was not allowed to board. Had to purchase a new ticket. All right, that's it for me. Jay Thomas show straight ahead. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. I see it lights.